Welcome to this bonus episode of the Limitation is Rise podcast. On this episode, I have my good friend, Paddy McDonald. He is working on another stand-up show. This show, there's a few tickets left for it, so I'll put links in. You can reach out to it. Uh, it's called On the Tools. Um, what we, we talk about different things, how you get into comedy, what it's like to come from the area he came from and to do the things that he does now. And just a few things that I think will resonate with people who have a dream or a goal or an, an ambition, but are afraid to just take that step. I hope you enjoy this. Feel free to reach out to me or Patty with any questions that you have. And until the next time, have a great day. Welcome to this episode of the Limitation is Mirage podcast. Uh, I have a special guest today, someone that has worked the comedy circuit for years. And I've met him many times in Oma and a few different places. And we always have a laugh. So I wanted to get him on. And finally, we've worked out a time. So with Patty McDonald or Patty the Dagger or Paddy the comedian, Paddy the replacement MC and dailies. Like this, whenever I think of you there, all the things that I know of. Uh, <laughs> one of the you, things that I think I'm most proud of, I've never seen the dagger, yet I've been around you in so many situations and people have chatted about it. And like, thankfully, I have escaped that. So think, <laughs> what do you mean, thankfully? <laughs> I think I've been quite lucky in that, in that regard. I think it's my ninja skills just kick in and I'm away. I uh, probably. Well, it's probably just comedians have seen it to see. I know, but I'd be there. I've come I back know, and I, like, you see what's going on. I'm like, I know, but you're sort of, you're sort I know you're part of the, the thing, but it normally doesn't, like certain people and all that don't get to see it too, or, you know. I like when you say, don't, don't get to see it. <laughs> like, it's a, such a privilege. Oh, they don't get, <laughs> they don't get that. And what I realized too is no one knows what the fuck we're talking about. Um, Which will make it even more fun. So, Paddy, do you want to give a brief description, like, who you are, and then I'll, so, so the people that don't know you get to know you? Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on, Liam. It's great to come and do it and get to chat to you and see you after a long time that we haven't seen each other. But, yes, I'm Paddy McDonald. I'm a, a comedian from West Belfast. As you know, that's a big part of my set. Uh, yeah. Grew up, Falls Road, Devis, Waydrack, all the main bad areas that you could find in, in West Belfast. I've worked many jobs. Doorman, joiner, uh, credit card salesman, black taxi man. And it's just from that I've developed, uh, got into the comedy circuit after a, a, an assault on myself and I went into a bit of depression. So my wife put me forward, brought me to a comedy gig, thinking we were just going to see it. I ended up doing seven minutes and then we're, we're at where we're at now, 10 years down the lane. Uh, there's so much in there already. Uh, what, one of the stories I love about, about you is that story of your wife like trying trying to do something because you, you had depression rather than just let you wallow in it your wife was doing whatever she could to bring you out of it because that's you weren't that type of person but the best bit is as I know the story and I could be wrong but she brought you to a comedy club and then when you were there the guy was like oh you're on and you're going yeah oh no I'm just here to what so yeah I, how I work with people's mindset all the time and Stage fright is something that people come to me for a lot. How the fuck did you go from sitting depressed? Like we were generally my my understanding of people that are depressed, you don't want to be the center of attention, you don't want to be out there, and you did, like doing that, and then without any prior knowledge, going on stage. Like I just think Liam, what, what backstory is just that I was assaulted and I went into depression. I lost my business and. Andrea was at the stage where she was going, I, I, I don't know what else to do with him, you know, he's just lost himself. Prior to that, they called me the gunslinger and all when I was in the bars because I was a slagger and a joker and telling stories and jokes and just always having a laugh and work was the exact same way. And I wasn't doing any of it. And Andrea put me in the situation where she asked somebody their opinion, what should I do? You know, you know what he was like. And they were like, take him to the comedy club. If he likes comedy, take him to the comedy club because you're bringing him back into an area that he's aware of and that he's, he's, he feels good in. If he loves comedy, and he goes, he goes to a comedy gig and, and after it's full of adrenaline. And they went, maybe that's a wee thing you could do for him, make him feel better. So she, can't, she looked up Belfast Comedy and say she had that conversation on a Friday. There was one on the Monday night in the pavilion, which is a a, a known gig yeah. for people to go and do. It's an open mic, you know, you don't get paid or anything. You go and you do your seven minutes. So obviously I didn't know any of the guys in the circuit. I didn't know, you know, the guy running or anything at that stage. So Andrew just says to me on the Monday. And funny enough, that was the day the court case started. 
for the for the thing that happened to me, the assault with the guy. And I was feeling really, really down. I was in the court that day and I was just feeling not great. And she says, no, come on, we're going. I was like, I don't really fancy it. And she says, listen, what else are you going to do? Sit in the house. So we went. We walked in the door. Andrew said the fella's name because she'd been emailing him. And he says, yes, yes, yes. And all that's dead on. And paid our money in. Says he doesn't have to pay in. And I was like, why not? And he was like, because you're on. And I was like, what do you mean I'm on? And he was like, you're on stage. You're doing seven minutes. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah. And I don't know. But I've seen after the first act, I felt part of that night. I felt like I was opening up a wee bit. Yeah. And I was sort of like, do you know what? Get up there and talk because that's what you need to do. You're not talking to anybody. You're not doing what you normally do. And you're you're good at it. Just get up and talk. Even if you're not funny, you're talking in front of a few people and you feel better. There wasn't a big crowd. Let's just say there's probably 10 people there. So my team came around and I got up. And after the first couple of acts, I sort of went to myself, well, that's not that hard to do. You know, I didn't have the stage fight or anything. I was sort of saying, that's not that hard to do. Then people, in fairness, like they weren't getting roars of laughter, you know. So I sort of went to me, well, there's no pressure on you here. You know what I mean? So I just got up and done it and tried to make it as funny as I could. And I was just talking about being a daddy and, and having kids. And when I got off stage, everybody was like, that was brilliant. There was a guy come over and he says, yeah, that was, that was the best day night. That was really, really funny and stuff. So I think having people come and saying that to you and it felt like a bit of support. I was like, do you know what it did? It felt really good. Mm. And I started feeling better about myself. And the guy that was running the night says, there's a competition in four weeks in Dungannon. I think you should do it. And if you're up for it. And Andrew says, what do you think? And I says, there's no harm in it. Like, why not? So <laughs> I went and done that and... And then it just, it was like drugs. It just made me feel better in myself. And I went, I just need to keep doing that. Because I really, you know, it was like as normal as somebody wanting to go out once a week to the bar. That's what I wanted to do was do comedy. Yeah. And I just started doing it. And then I really got the bug for it. And I drove all over Ireland for about eight or nine months for nothing, just to do it. Anywhere and everywhere, somebody would give me make time. So yeah. I, I became addicted to it. I think Andre at the time is the bit, she let me at the start. She was like, go ahead, go ahead. But like after two, three years and you were gigging three, four times a week, she was going, Jesus Christ, like, you know, this is mental now. Sometimes I wish, you no, know, we'll have the odd argument. She would say, I wish I didn't put you up for this and all, but I'm really glad she did because I think it saved me a bit, you know? Yeah. It really pulled me out. And the, and the message that you deliver, like on stage, one of the things I really liked about you on stage was you were like, I was going to say, like, you're a normal guy, but you're fucking far. You're like me. You're far. You're normal, but you're far from normal. Like, your stories are fucking ridiculous. Yeah. But when you went on, people sitting in the crowd could look at you and think, fuck, he's just like me. He yeah. ends up in crazy situations. But, like, some of the stories you used to tell backstage and stuff, you'd be thinking, like, how did this, how did that even come about? Yeah. No um, so that, like, I think a lot of, a lot of our story intertwined. Like the first time I ever ended up on stage was I was I was already performing, but I was performing just table hop and magic. And it was actually Terry Keys. Remember, he used to run Bailey's at the start. Yeah, yeah. It was him that just called me on stage. He was like, Oh, and Liam's about to come on stage to do five minutes. And I was like, What the fuck? What am I gonna yeah. do? I'm gonna get up there and just went and thought I'll just be me and whatever happens, happens. And then same thing, just clicked and I was like, This, this is where I need to be. I need to be on a stage. So uh, two things came up for me that I wanted to ask you about. First one is like, are you doing anything now to replace that like gigging? So you're probably the same as me. You miss the stage. When yeah. you're on the stage, that's when you're on fire. Like this is when life's like, yeah. So have you come up with any ways of dealing with that? To, like, uh, to be honest with you, I was doing wee bits and pieces of videos and I was trying to do live stuff online and, I never really met anything that I really wanted to do. So apart from a walk, you know, up the mountain, because we've moved close to the mountain now and I would do the mountain walk maybe just once or twice a week. But that was sort of helping me. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? That was not 100%, let's just say. this The creative yeah. part of me is still, you know, going over and over <laughs> my head. And then it's mad though because just, I mean, it's moved so quickly in the past month. And I mean, at that short a time where I've done podcasts with Shane Todd and that's all stuff that's been done years and years ago, like these stories, but likes of Aaron McCann and Shane and, you know, people off stage would have said to me, stories you tell in the green room are amazing. You know, like, I know you go up and you do good stuff, 
but you're really mailing yourself down from the stuff. And I says, because people won't believe that all that happened to one person. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It was like, yeah. people won't believe that. And uh, I done the, the thing with Shane Todd and everybody was like going mental over it. And I was like, Jesus, maybe they're right. You know, I just, so it just took off. And it basically just, when we done the first podcast, Shane says, that was that good. I, I would suggest you go and book somewhere because people's going to want to see you. And I was like, right, okay. And I booked just a lame night and it sold out in a half an hour. And the guy was like, you need to do a second night. And I says, no problem. That sold out in an hour and a half. And he says, we're going to have to do a third night and put a third night on and sold it. And I went, right, we need to stop because I'm going to do seven or eight nights in a row instead of doing one big gig here. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I said, so come if instead of doing any more, just put it in the big room in the lame night and that holds 450 or something. And I says, we'll do that. That'll be the last one. And he came back and he says, listen, do you want to just move a gig till November? And I said, yeah, if that's what you want to do. And he came back and says, well, I'm putting you in the Ulster Hall. And I was like, what? You know, are you serious? Because like, I never even, Ulster Hall maybe one day, a couple of years down, but it's just mad that after 10 years, mm-hmm. I've got to the stage now in the space of a month where you're going into a big room like that. You know, it's a bit crazy, but sometimes it happens like that in comedy. A lot of yeah. the ones that I would have spoke to, like Andrew Maxwell, Jason Manford, people like that, will tell you the same thing. You know, you're gigging away and gigging away and feel like you're not getting nowhere. And then, boom, it just happens. You know, probably the biggest one I've ever heard of is uh, Liverpool comedian. No, oh, what's his name? It's going to do my head in there. He was gigging in Leicester Festival. Um, 12 people or something. Two weeks later, he was doing Live the Apollo. Do you know what I mean? So it's just, yeah. it just took one person to see him. And that, that just changed for him. I think that whole thing it takes like 10 years to become an overnight success. So that's sort of what's happening. You know, you've done all of the stuff and you've plugged away. Like I remember even in dailies, whenever we get stuck, if we knew we were going to be let down by someone on the day, we'd be like, just run Paddy. Paddy yeah. will definitely jump in the car and come down and he'll blow people. Like you're never thinking, fuck, how do we cover this? Or how do we big him up? We're just like, we get Paddy. He'll come down, wreck the place. And it'll be fucking great. I mean, for years there, you know, Omen was probably my best town in terms of comedy. It was just the room was right for me and the crowd all got to know me. And it was just, it just, I, one of them rooms that I go into, I know that, look, it's, this is going to be all right. This is my crowd, you know, all once right. I see me once. I had one bad gig in it. That was when Terry had it. And when I spoke to Terry, Terry says there was three people there that night, but you can't judge that gig on three <laughs> people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, that was the way at the start. And then after that, it just, all them years, the gigs I've done in there with Arlo Hanman and, mm. you know, Tom Stade, Jesus, probably my favourite comedians, Tom Stade, and yeah. I played in the wee room like that with him. You know, he's laughing his head off and I come off and he's like, hey man, that was great. I didn't understand the word of it, but it was fucking awesome, man. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, they don't have no problem. <laughs> but Whenever you go to the Davis voice, you see, you start to lose. Anyone from outside Ireland goes, what, what? Is this well, like- sometimes, sometimes people outside of Devis go like that. You know, when you're you do, you have to slow down a bit. I have definitely adapted my voice and the, the, the way I speak on stage because sometimes I was getting overexcited and just like <laughs> people hadn't a clue what you were doing. You know. Yeah. But uh, definitely one of my favorite places to go, and everybody down there, like yourself, Connor Keys, Bowsy, Terry. There was never not a welcoming. You know what I mean? It, it yeah. felt. It's, at what that definitely wasn't a job it was a bit yeah. of crack with the dates right. you know what i mean so the the social aspect of that as well was great you know what i mean there was no no pricks basically up there it was all nice people and i have some great stories from it all so it's just sad that we can't have it at the moment yeah we'll get back there um just when we were talking about the way you change your voice that was again something that, that really connected me with you as a performer was how well you read a room like we might talk about you're set beforehand, you say, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And then when you come off, you did a completely different set, and you're like, oh, the room just seemed like they needed this. And, you're, and like you're saying, you're, you're paying attention to your voice. You're willing to change what you need to do about yourself to make the, the audience have the best experience. And I think that's what makes a really great performer. You're not just going on and being great for you. You're going on to entertain and perform for an audience. Yeah. Uh, so that leads me to the... Because we were talking about Davis as well. How 
I imagine Divis is kind of, whenever you talk about it, it sounds like Stroll Park where I grew up, where like you're not really expected to do anything. You're not going to be anybody. You might go into the, just work in a factory or go to jail or something like that. You're not really aiming towards big things. What's it like coming from there to, to what you do now? Like it's bound to be completely different from where you saw yourself going. Oh, I mean, I always loved comedy and stuff like that, but I never, ever thought of becoming a comedian. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, but in terms of, like, being from there, I never really had that much expectation of doing anything big with, you know, right. always, like, I was in school and I, I maybe had an idea of stuff that I wanted to do. And then, you know, left school, still didn't sort of know what I was doing, then went working with my dad, who was a roofer. Didn't like roofing, so I like journey work. So went and studied that, then went to America for a few years and then came back from there, got a family, got kids and just tried to carry on. And then a few events happened to change that. So it was sort of like, I don't know, but there's there's quite a few people, like if you say West Belfast in, in, in total, like, and especially a great few of my friends, they're all very successful. Do you know what I mean? There's a lot of successful people come from West Belfast. So I do think that some people put it down. And yes, it's bad parts of it. And there's bad things happen during lockdown. It was terrible for videos. But I mean, they're no different from somebody from somewhere else. Do you know what I mean? And I, I hope I never lose that. I hope I never, if you did do really well, that you lost where you come from. Because I think that defeats what you were doing. There's a lot of comedians. And the start, they're so funny because they're doing about this and doing about that. And, doing, and then all of a sudden, a few years down the line, they've got a few quid and then live somewhere else and they're just not the same person. And yeah. I hope, I would hope not to lose that because I actually love where I come from. I would never not tell people and I never would have made up. My granny used to say to me, don't tell lies because a lot of my friends would have said, right, we're going into the town here. You change your name to this. You change your name to that. My granny told me, you are who you are. Tell people who you are and be proud of where you're from. If you do that, then you'll respect people where they're from as well. And to be honest with you, the places I've played, the people I've been with, I mean, you wouldn't dream of telling them, but they respected me because I walked out and just said what I did or who I was and where I was from. And they've probably never had interaction with people from there. So they're probably like, oh, my God, they're not that different from us, you know? Yeah. So that, that's the way I look, you know, but I never did. But I mean, there is a lot of people from West Belfast, a lot of people I know that are successful. So I know it's something that can be achieved no matter where you're from. It's, it's just yeah. how much you want it, you know? Aye, that's brilliant. Uh, has there been, where's the main gig, like, or the biggest one you remember where you walked in and thought, like, this is, there's a complete different side of the world to you. Like, my, for the easiest example for me is I ended up doing a DUP gig once. <laughs> and I walked in and they introduced me with my full Liam O'Neill and everything. And I was like, fuck, this is, and they had a big background that just looked like London initially just looked like buildings. I think it was London. And I was like, oh, that's fine. But the guy that was on before me, they, he was like one of the chief DUP men. So they changed it to the British flag and DUP wrote all over the place. And I come on the stage from the side, so I don't see it. And there's a, a photo of me standing, like gesturing to the audience. It looks like I'm running the whole, this whole rally. And I remember chatting to a few of them after. And they were chatting, they were very posh and they chatted about like what they get up to and all that. I was thinking, fuck, this is complete. Like I never thought I would find myself from where I came from in a room where they're looking up to me. Whenever you would have been, when I was younger, I would have been taught to like respect them. They've got money and like class or privilege or whatever the fuck way you want to put it. But has there ever been anywhere where you've walked in and you're like, fuck, I don't know how this is, how I'm going to go down here. The Hollywood Yacht Club's Christmas lunch. <laughs> and I mean, it, Really, I didn't really realize how working class I was until I was in that room. Now, the good thing about it, and the only thing that saved that day, was that there's people who are that rich. They're not posh, in a sense, because they're born rich, so they just are where the way they are. You know, yeah. I find there's people who get money, who change and try to be this thing that they're not, whereas I find these people who are super, super rich can be as com common as you, because... They didn't have to strive to be anything different. So they just come for money. And some of them can be pricks, don't get me wrong. But the table I was at, they were actually very, very soon. And one of them owned Fawn's building company. So straight away, I could talk to him. And I had actually worked on their sites and knew what I was talking about, knew 
architects and people and all that he knew. So I think that helped the day. And then there was another guy there who came from a racing car family sort of thing, you know, and they had quite a bit of money, but I knew of a guy who raced and stuff. So, and I knew the racing myself, so I was able to talk to him. So it maybe helped that day, but there were some guys there. And I mean, it was completely mental, you know, that, they usually for that lunch, what would happen is they would have a guy comes in and talks about seals and tan knots and different things they got, things related to yachting. Yeah. And it was I was doing the comedy store in London. I was over working in London, and a guy seen me who was English but had lived here now in Belfast for ten years, married a girl from Bangor, and he seen me in the comedy store and asked me would I be available to do it, and I says yeah. So he booked me. He was his first year organising it. So he says I'm doing something different because. I hate the stuff that bring it in because you're a big lunch in you and then somebody like that coming on talking, he says half the room sleeping. So, yeah, you know, I just want to make it fun for the younger guys. So I went into there, sitting and ate my lunch. Nobody knew who I was. And then I got up and done the, the act. And I got a great response, like really did. Some of them definitely had puzzled looks about them. And I went into the toilet because it was sweating. And I was sitting in the cubicle just trying to get my breath back. And uh, two of them came in. And I've been called some names in my day, right, from across the wall in the shank, all or playing football against Protestant teams. And also when I played for a Protestant team one time, getting called it by a Catholic team from Armagh. But I was sitting in the toilet and the two guys came in, really posh accents, older gentlemen, should I say. And uh, one of them says, tell the other one, he says, uh, what did you think of that man's act? And the, the other one turned around and says, no, no, I was speaking to Mark there. That was not an act. That man is actually from West Belfast. And he went, really? And he was like, yes, he really is a fignon. Sounds like a fancy French name. Doesn't it? It's like, it, it's, it was one of them. That's what gave me the idea for the joke about fignari and fignata and all the different, what, what Catholics are called in different countries, you know, because that came from that. And I, I, I was laughing my head off because I was sitting going to myself, that's the nicest insult I've ever had. It's the way it was said there, you know, Normally it's just, yeah, you're fiending. It was fignon. And I was like, that actually, I would get that tattooed on my arm. It, it's that nice. Do you know what I mean? And right. I just opened the cubicle door. And you know me, all the, the comedy's always on. And I opened the door and the two of them looked in the mirror and seen it was me behind them in the cubicle. We're a bit shocked that I'd heard them. And I just said to them before I walked out, lads, I think it's actually the terms Tiag. <laughs> and walked out the door. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I was laughing, laughing the whole way home, thinking about it. But it, that that probably is a standard gig. Now, in saying that, I've done gigs. I was hoodwinked. I was told it was a community group when I got there. It was a Christmas dinner for the UDA. How, how does that go? Well, I uh, I went in till I went into the the bar, and I pulled in the black taxi, and these twenty big skinheads surrounded the the, the taxi. Who are you looking? Who are you to pair pick up? And I says, nobody made I'm here to do a gig. And he went, oh, you the comedian fella? And I went down. He says, oh, I just, actually, we'll park it for you. Just get out now. And I was like, what's all this? No, no, mate, I'm not letting you drive my taxi. I don't even know you. And he says, listen, you're not driving it in there. I drive it in. You go into the front bar. So it goes into the front bar and there's a guy meets me. And there's an old boy sitting with a, a German shepherd. And then this other guy comes down. He says, my name's Philip. He says, uh, I just want to tell you the truth before you go into the room. And I says, tell me the truth about what? He says, well, we'll sort of hoodwink you a wee bit. And I says, what do you mean? He says, well, we didn't sort of want to say to the fella who's booking your gigs who we were. And I went, right. And he says, we said we're a community group, but I don't want you going into the room and seeing faces and getting scared because there's some notorious people in there. And I was like, right, well, just tell me the truth, Philip. You know, don't sugarcoat it. Just tell me what the crack is. He says, right, well, with the UDA. And this is our Christmas dinner. And our, our leader, this is what he said, our leader seen you at a book scene in Belfast Austin and thought you were brilliant. And we've booked you as a surprise for him. And I went, right, okay. He says, so when you go in, you're going to see him. You're going to get spooked. You might see a few other faces that's been on TV. Not for the right reasons. And I was like, right, okay. So I'm walking up these stairs, like 27 stairs up in this hall. And Jackie McDonald, the head of UDA, comes walking out of the toilet and goes, ah, gee, Paddy McDonald, that's a crack. And here's me. All right, Jackie. And he was like, how are you doing? And I'm me dead on. He says, you were dead funny at that book scene. And all I says, and that City Hall gig you done some Paddy's Day. That was dead funny. I, I really enjoyed it. No. He says, now Leeson's book, booked you. And it's meant to be a secret. He says, but I know all about it because they're just a pack. There's just a pack of toots. Hold on, right? 
And I was like, right, okay. And he says, do me a wee favour. He says, when you go into the room, I've done Secret Santa, but I can't buy them all. You know, there's 150 people in there. He says, so at any stage during your set, will you just mention to check under your seat? And I went, right, okay. So I goes into the room and guy stands up and goes, right now, everybody shut up. I booked this guy. It's a surprise for Jackie. Now, Jackie knows he's here now, but he's from over he's from over the wall. But that He's a good guy. He's funny, right? So don't want you slabbering or shouting at him. This is what he is. And I was like, right. So I goes on stage and he goes, this is Paddy McDonald from Divis, you know? And I walked on stage and everybody's just looking at me. And I went, you know what? I'll just do the thing for Jackie to get it out of the road now. And I says, lads, if you want to check on the your seats here just before I start. And these three fellas jumped up. One had no arm. One had an eye missing. And I and they were like, what do you say? And here's me. What's going on? But it turned out somebody from Divis had blew them up before in a bar or something. And <laughs> Jackie done it as a joke. And they were raging, and Jackie stood up and went, here, sit down. I told him to say it for a bit of crack, but the rest of the room was in stitches. Do you know what I mean? Them three were hitting it, but then by the end of it, they loved it, and they tried to boot me again three or four times. Do you know what I mean? So the way they look at it is they've probably never met somebody from across the wall. You, you just don't yeah. know. It was you know, it was a bit strange for him and a bit strange for me, but it actually works. When I go into Protestant areas, it works. Yeah. I don't know whether they think, is that what is that the way all lemons are, or do they think, do you know what? They're not too far away from us. Do you know? I don't know. I've yeah. never had an answer from anybody. I uh, it'd be interesting. It'd be interesting to know what they think. But then again, you're not the average person. So I guess again, one of the things that that's great about you is I know that I could put you anywhere, and you would win everybody over. You take them onto your side. You you tell a yarn. It would be funny. They would like it because you tell stories that. Like that story there is mental, but there's bits of it that fits with people where they met crazy, the crazy man in their town when they open the door to the toilet and he comes out and they're like, oh, fuck, what's he going to do? Like there's wee bits that they can fit with just the, the level of, of where you're at. And it makes sense why you're saying like people won't, won't believe some of the stories. It's, I've had the same issue with some of the stuff I've done in my life and people go, but sure, you're just making that up. And you're like, well, that's, that's what happened. Uh, one of the things that I thought there, I love the gigs where whoever introduces you starts with, right, everybody shut up. Whenever that happens, you know it's a good audience when you're standing, you're like, right, I'm always doing a prep and I'm getting ready. And then I hear the man in the mic go, right, everybody shut up. And you're like, oh, fuck, here we, this, here we go. And you go out and it's just like mayhem unfolding. Um, whenever, you, whenever you have a situation like that happen, you're already going to a gig, but does your brain start going, this is this is a routine now? Like, is that how you, I'm just trying to work out creatively how you're, you turn the normal normal parts of your life into like stories. Like there's a story you told, I can't remember most of it, but just about shopping and shopping trolley and everything. And, and like, it's just a normal, but then the wee madness things that happens with you involved in it. And then the yeah. way you tell it. So is that how you creatively work that something yeah, happens? I- I genuinely don't write anything down. So what I do is I get a story and I go, I'll tell that story and see what way it works out. And you maybe tell it five times and then you find when it's right. Do you know what I mean? So you go, that's perfect now. And it all comes from truth. Like, don't get me wrong. I exaggerate some bits of it. Hmm. But that story is about going to Tesco's in Lisbon. And it literally happened. We we had Podrick and Andrea was, you know, she wouldn't let him out of her sight. And she was struggling because she was breastfeeding and stuff like that. So I wasn't up in the middle of the night. You know, she was doing all the work. So I says, listen, see tomorrow morning, get him fed and I'll take him out. And you can get at least two hours kept. Do you know what I mean? Let me go out for two hours before he needs his next feed. I'll go out and do the shopping for you. You can stay in bed and just relax. And she's like, is he going to be all right? And I was like, grand, stop it. And uh, I did. I took the car, driving out, and she was ringing me literally five minutes down the road. And the police stopped me because it was on the phone, you know? So now I exaggerate the story and say that she asked me where I was going. I said, Tesco's and I put her off the scent and then blah, 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 blah. You know, where we come from? I says, Twinbrook area. And she was like, right, I'll give you nine points and a fan. You know, that bit's exaggerated, but that's to make the joke about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That I'm from West Belfast. There's no way I'd be going to Tesco's, you know, we all shop little and stuff like that. So that, that you just add them wee bits in to make people think about the scenario, but people will have the same thing where they've had a baby and they're taking it out or a fella taking his baby out first thing or a girl having panic attacks in her house thinking about her baby away with the daddy. You know, 
that part of it, that's how you, you pull it all together. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Uh, and I think, I think with comedy, what I found is as long as you're not just abusing the audience constantly, mm-hmm. they'll enjoy you. And the secret that I always have is get the first 10 minutes where you have them loving you as a person. And if you yeah. want to do a wee bit risque, do it further in the gig. Do you know what I mean? That's, that, that's the way I always find it. Uh, even you would notice that whenever you, you do the MC and you do the crowd work, the first few you're you're nice with everyone. Like it's like sometimes I'll be watching it thinking, fuck, they have no idea that if they do give him a bit yeah, of smart talk, that they're fucked. Like and yeah. you had mentioned it earlier about being called, I don't know if you did the gunslinger thing, but you said you used to be known as the gunslinger. And do you think that's helped you in what you're doing as well? Because you you know when you're on stage. No, no heckler is going to out heckle you. You can, yeah. I was like the last lane, yeah, yeah. But it won't be. I, I I think all that prepped me to where I am today. If you know what I mean. Also, a lot of people don't know it about me, but I'm very good at imitating voices and people and their mannerisms, and it's something that I haven't done too much in my act. I've done bits and pieces, so I've. You know, I have that in the armor, and, I, and it would have been when we were growing up. See, you were stopped by a police and stuff. I used to give a fake name and put a different accent on. And the many times I let on, I was from Glasgow, and they didn't know any different. And I was just over at my cousin's, and I, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time because I didn't know them guys. And the cops are like, right there on you. And then you get them to drop you off somewhere where you know that you can walk into somebody's fence and go into the next house. No way, you know. I, I used to do that all the time, or let on to be a gypsy in the van and just to see what kind of what we could get away with, you know? And yeah. I used to do all that for, for the crack. You know, when yeah. we were in the van, I had a Paul in somewhere and said, excuse me, you couldn't tell me the way to the Europa Hotel from here. And, the, you know, people were starting and you let them go on for 10 minutes trying to find the best way. And then at the end of it, you go, thanks very much for that, door. that's dead on, sir. Thank you. And then the, they're starting looking, going, Tat! do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think all that helps you that you can do that. And that, that helps me adapt to it. And I, and I enjoy emceeing. I, I prefer doing just one set, you know, than going in between people because you can get carried away. But I do enjoy emceeing because it gives you that bit, bit of scope of the audience and uh, messing about. Now, you always know whenever you get on stage for MC that there's going to be a bit of crack. And if if you can't get anything out of the audience, I suppose because of your life, like the life you've done different jobs and you, you've experienced life more than most so whenever like i've seen some mcs on and they haven't got that much going they've never had real jobs they've just faffed about and then whenever it starts to struggle they've nowhere to go pull to. anything out of whereas anybody can say anything and there's probably a story in your head that goes fuck i, I remember one time when this happened and then you can go into some sort of yeah. story um i think that that's another place where we where we are connected because I used to be the guy that no one gave grief to when we were out in pubs because I was very quiet. I always f- feel like I'm a landmine, very quiet, don't do anything, very nice, polite. But if I have to go, I go all out, like the, yeah. where they go, fuck, I shouldn't have. Yeah. Just started that. So whenever whenever you're doing this now um, and you didn't expect to be getting into comedy or doing anything like this and you've now, like the Shane Todd podcast was, was brilliant. And as you said, it's, for me, whenever I watched that, I was like, that's the party I know. That's that's the guy that we always see that comes backstage and we're sitting having, having the crack. And you're like, you should just, if you, whenever we chatted you backstage, I felt like picking you up and just setting you back on the stage. And we're like, hey, you Like, everybody listen to this. this like, so do you think this is like who you are now? You've found what you want to do? and Yeah, I think I'd never really done any of those stories unless I'd done it in the show. Like the Dagger show, has only went out three times. And I think I mentioned to Chrissy before, and he says he would try and fit it in sometime over the years. But, you know, I feel that that show could go back now, maybe next year again, in a bigger room, you know, when people then would... Because uh, basically you're talking, there's been 450 people have seen that over the three times it's been seen. And yeah. they seem to love it. So it was just, if I had been able to have the exposure for it first, it's maybe a show that should have been left until... I don't know, but um, there's plenty more in the tank of more to do. But uh, yeah, no, I think it's just being transparent and open and just going for it and just telling whatever happened to you because you can be backed up with it because it's all there and people know yeah. about it. And you, know, you tell people, oh, I got my finger bit off and they're like, what? And then you go Google it and 
the many people's came back to me and went, I did not believe you until I read the newspaper article. It's on them. Then I went to know. And they went, it was like a big, big story. And I was like, I know, it's just people don't relate that to the man that I am now or doing comedy. Yeah. So it is. But I think you're right, Liam. It is more about just get get everything out there. Just just your, your life stories and your experiences. This new show that I'm doing is on the tools. And that's pretty much a lot of just funny stories from work that I've done. Like, whether it be the doorman, whether it be the joiner, whether it be the comedian even. That'll yeah. all come in there, you know. So we'll just see how it goes. I, I like the idea, like you're saying, just being open and transparent. And that just brings back to your granny statement of never lie. That's why, why I would never, when I wrote the book, whenever I'm on stage, whenever I'm doing anything, I just tell my stories. Like, this is what happened. And this is who I work with or whatever it is. So if people do come going, but you, that's fucking shit. You're like, well, like if I ever talk about DUP one and people go, no, Liam O'Neill doubt it. I'm like, here's a fucking picture. Of his yeah, yeah I'm, no, no. I'm wearing a Chinese, like my Chinese jacket that like, so I love <laughs> fucking man. Right. I love that you went till the DUP gig in a Chinese jacket. <laughs> I can I just got, imagine them all going to you, here, give us another champagne, please, sir, sir. <laughs> I whenever I'm on stage, if I'm a lot if the people allow me in the hotel, I I don't like wearing shoes or socks. I'm always barefoot. Yeah. But for that gig, I had planned the gig out and I was going to do walking and broken glass. Right. one of the things I've been doing it for years since starting martial arts I've always done it but it's become very popular and the last that I did it about four years ago and people were like yeah we were at a weekend retreat and we did that and I was like well what the fuck no. yeah. so I come up with a new idea first time I ever performed it so I come out with a with a big bowl and I'm wearing a Chinese jacket and I strip off topless front of all these like fully poised to the max you see you can and do I that I can't Liam <laughs> Well, you can't do it, but it doesn't get the same attachment. <laughs> well, I kneel, kneel down in front. You can see them all like, what the fuck? Why is he doing this? And I start washing my face and broken glass and washing my head and, and, and chest and all. So, like, whenever you tell them story, people go, you didn't? Ah, oh, fuck. I'm just thinking, now, my mind's wandered to, you're saying, just because you said you can't, doesn't get the same reaction. You have a routine with a monkey t-shirt. Is it a Robert De Niro routine? It's a wrap. It was. I haven't done that in years, but it, I had put on loads of weight doing the comedy. I know I'm a bit heavy now, but I put on loads of weight. And I bought a t shirt in Primark and it had Robert De Niro. And Andre was going to me, That's too tight. And I was going, No, it's for a joke. And she went, Well, what's a joke? And I hadn't even tried it yet, but I sucked away. And when I sucked in, it looked like De Niro was smiling. And when I pushed it out, the belly out, it was like a big frown. Happy De Niro, sad. Oh, it was Al Pacino. It wasn't De Niro. Al Pacino, happy. Happy Pacino, sad Pacino. That, that was the joke. Got a great response, actually. Very yeah. cheap, cheap one, two ninety nine. <laughs> I haven't thought about that for ages, but just when you talked about the body, it just wandered into my head. Uh, I remember the first time you, I seen you do it in, in, in dailies, and we, you hadn't talked about it before, Hangsor. We would talk about what's going on. So whenever you did it, it's just fucking it was brilliant. Like again, I, I got the mixed up, but in my head, De Niro and Al Pacino were pretty much the same. Yeah, I do it all the time too. Yeah, they're in the same movies. But for some reason, I thought of it a monkey too. So did you do it with a monkey t-shirt as well? Or am I, is my main... No, I used to have a yellow monkey t-shirt that I used to wear, but there was no joke on that. And then I had the Ardell t-shirt made. That's right. <laughs> and I'd done that. Do you know, yeah. see when you think about it, almost the t-shirt, because I'd done that, then I'd done Fergal Mullen, the front row Fergal. Uh, and the boys got a t-shirt made and, and Chris was like look this is too small for you but you have to do it you're the t-shirt man and I put on this v tight thing and I'm going to do it for Fergal Moan so I've done a lot of uh, t-shirt gags up, up in thing more so than anywhere else now that I'm thinking a lot of my comedy does come from it um, I remember I don't know if you can remember this but you would have been starting to go to dailies quite a bit and my granny used to do this party piece where she, she got the newspaper and she ripped it she used to get people to rip pieces off a page in the newspaper. Yeah. And she would look at it and she'd go, you know, trample. We, I don't know if you were there, were you? I, I got so it. You sort of inspired me to do something like that because I remember McGranny doing it. But I actually stopped because I was freaking myself out because I was constantly getting stuff right. Yeah. It actually looked like something you would have done. <laughs> and you were like, how do they know what? And I just went, you know what? Book of me now that I'm getting this right all the time. I'm not meant to get it right. I'm meant to get it wrong, so it's yeah. funnier. 
but then it used to it, instead of getting the big laugh, you were getting the big <gasps> no, because you knew, and people were like, "Hard, you know, somebody must have told you that." And I was going, "No," and then I sort of went to myself, "I'm gonna stop it because it's not what I expected to do." It was my granny used to get you to do that. People that didn't know her, like, and she'd done it at the parties, and then after like ten times, she'd have went. So do you not think you? I, I'm reading all this here now. I put it all together, and the one thing that it tells me about is you're too old to believe in magic, and that's meant to be the joke. But it, that part never worked for me. But I always got a shot thing. But I done it up in Oma. And it was like the guy worked somewhere and I got that right. And then he was a member of Sinn Féin Youth or something. I got that right. I done it in Newcastle. And the guy was a member of the Ulster Unionist Young Party. And the piece that he ripped off was that. And then the next bit he ripped off, it was uh, house blinds, cheap house blinds thing. And his dad owned a house blinds, you know, blinds for windows company and the place just so it sort of I lost my funny after that because they were just like how did he know that do you know what I mean and then it's more sometimes you're thinking he's from Divis you know is he an intelligence officer for some organization or something (laughs) I I remember doing it because you came off stage and we chatted and you were like fucking because I didn't know what you were going to do so when you did it I was like fucking that was I've seen loads of people do a variation of that in cold reading and I'm like that's something I would do I was like, yeah, yeah. how do you do that? And you were like, I don't know, freaking me out, I don't know. <laughs> and then I had people asking me after the gig as they were leaving, so you had a hand in Paddy's routine, did you? And I was like, I didn't have fucking anything to do with it. The fucker just <laughs> did it. But, I'm actually flattered by that, that people thought that. But that that one of the one of the things I thought about when you did it, again, it just just when we're talking about it, it's just you have such a good rapport with the audience. And your your awareness of what's going on in the room is there, and you, you're a people person. You've been around so many people that whenever you told me you didn't know how you did it, I was like, "Well, he's just you're not that switched on that it's just you feed off everything." So it's a bad routine for you because it works because of your personality and you're you're actually able to. Because I've tried to teach routines like that to magicians that have hired me to help them with shows, and their their personality and their understanding of people because they haven't done anything other than magic is bad so they can't pull themselves out of a hole whereas yours is that switched on that you're fucking just doing it you're doing it by accident that you freak yes. yourself out and you, yeah. you don't want to do it but now i remember once you met i'd forgot about that but once you'd say it, i was like fuck right, that's right people come up we go no you you know you know how you did that didn't you I'm like, I, I, I'm actually, I, it was always you that inspired me to try it out just to see if it worked because on the way to gigs, I'm always thinking of things. So on the way up, I just stopped at a petrol station just before I got into Oman. I'm like, no, I'll give this a go. Just... And Oman's the place where I would try everything, by the way. Yeah. So right. I had the balls to try anything in Oman, anything at all. And I knew if it worked or if it didn't work. Do you know what I mean? So The audience in Oman were always brilliant. Like, you could get away uh, with... I, it was where I tried all my new routines for about five years like I used to do the walk around before the show started for an hour and I'd try all my close-up and then anytime I had a, a routine I'd go to Christy and be like stick me on stage there for 10 minutes he's like how long do you need I'm like I'm going to say 10 but I don't know how the routine is going to work out so I don't know if it's going to fucking but it's also the one place where I've had the drunkest fuckers on stage with me because I can't see with the light and I'm like oh normally everybody's fine and I just be like right you up on and as they're coming towards me I'm like fuck you yeah. Yeah, but even the drunks are nice. Like off mic, they're like here on my side. Am I, I think crazy? I think Oma the knew that they wanted to be entertained. It it isn't yeah. the place where people were dragged to. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Do you know, like me trying to set up a gig in Belfast in a certain bar, and I was asking people to bring people. You know, so sometimes when you get that many in the room that didn't really want to be there, mm-hmm. it just takes one bad thing for them to switch off. Whereas yeah. in Oma, the quality and the the gigs that was getting put on didn't knew they were going to get entertained so when people went they were excited they were talking about it they were talking about the last one so they're saying this one's going to be brilliant and your man's this yeah. and your man's that no, not saying that nobody didn't have a bad gig in it but it was that good of a, it'd be hard to be bad in that room that was my point do you know what i mean yeah. because they're, they're they've paid the money they want entertained if people go to gigs and they don't want to entertain they want to sit and talk to their work colleagues about what happened all week and they just yeah. see this as a, a, a way for them to get out of the house. So people like that are in nightmare and gigs. I had two in like that when Shane was on for me. Shane sold the gigs out for me. And his dad was sitting there and his dad was annoyed and I was annoyed. And then I went down to them and they went, we bring we bring 30 people here every every month for you. And I was like, well, I don't want this here because they're going to do that. You know, yeah. I know this, it's, it's 30 people, it's brilliant. 
but I mean, I I can't have you in the room if you're not going to show respect to the acts, you know. Yeah. So uh, that that's the thing, and I'm sure you come across. I, I think your job's very hard. Where there's either the people that want to be entertained and just enjoy it, like that's me. I can't explain what you do, mm-hmm. and I'd be amazed at it. And I just I could watch you all night doing me tricks and all the wee things, and I'm amazed at it. And I'm like, do you know what? That's class. I don't sit and go, he's trying to be yes, and it's just a trick. And that's not. You have people out there, it's like that. And you also, right. people, West Belfast, like me being a comedian, they get a lot of them going, you think you're funny. You weren't even that funny, you know, at school and all. And <laughs> what what normally, and why they feel the need to tell me, I don't know. Yeah. But I don't know if it's for them as they feel better about themselves. So what yeah. I do is I go, listen, I'll get you set up, put you in an open mic night, help you out with your set if you want. And if you think you can do the business, I, I, I wouldn't stop anybody. I mean, I get into it. I'd surely help somebody. And I had one that was like, oh, I, oh, I will, I will. And I sat the gig and all up for him, open make and stuff. And he was going along. I was going to go along with him. And on the day, he says, I can't do it. Uh, and I was like, well, there you go. And there's no more messages. Me. Like, Who do you think you are? I says, now you got the feeling. And, and if, here's me. You may be funny, but if you can't get up on that stage, it's not going to work for you. If you get up there and stumble and that won't work if you have to have positivity you have to get up and try it and your first gig might go right but if it feels good do it again try it and then see but that's what people have so i think your job's hard from that that point of view it's the same as as yours as well like if i if i'm in a room and 90 percent people want to be there but there's 10 that don't they can suck people in i suppose the only difference is if you miss a bit of my like say a I'm doing something and you miss that bit and it appears over here and they see it and they're like, what? Like, I need to keep people's retention to do certain things. Although, like, the person who's worse for me is the person not fully engaged that's watching because then they're not retaining what I want them to, they're just seeing what they want to go, oh, it's in his hand now. But I, I have ways with dealing with that. I remember doing it with a guy. I was doing a, I always carry sponge bowls in my pocket in case I ever meet kids when I'm at gigs. So I would be gigging away doing all the mentalism and stuff and then a kid would appear and I'd do magic for a kid. Normally what I do is make the sponge balls appear in their hand and then I say to them, if you stand there and hold them tight for the next five minutes and don't speak, they'll multiply. And then that kid will stand for five minutes and I can work the whole table. And then I can come back to the kid and the kid hasn't moved and then I'll do something. I remember a guy just being a complete wanker about it. And I put a a sponge in one hand and a sponge in the other and told him that they would they would swap places if he closed his eyes. And I kept going. I did it like a street magician. I got a crowd of about 50. It was outside Main Street, so there was about 50, 100 people there. And he's standing like this. And I just fucked off. <laughs> I have no idea what happened or how long he stayed there for. He's still <laughs> standing there. <laughs> Is this fellow ever coming back? <laughs> so I just left. I was like, right, you'll feel it. And then I was just like, just me it, when he opened his hands, it obviously was what you said would happen, right? Oh, when he opened his hand, there was nothing in any hand. Oh, he nothing at all. Oh, he mind. <laughs> but when he opened his hands, so did the new people came around, it's just a guy. And then opens his hands and nothing happens. And I assume says, oh, the fucking magician did it. And they're going, Uh, so again, I suppose it's the, because we've lived outside of what we do, like I was never just a magician, you're never just a comedian, we're able to deal with everything. So I know I'm taking up a lot of your time, so I'm going to round off. I just have a question. Is there anything that you would say to people like, because we know we're, like the, the conversation started with you talking about depression and then like getting into stuff that people would never think of doing. Have you any like Anything that you'd like to say to people that are just thinking about trying something new or trying something different or trying to develop confidence or self-belief? I think if you have something in your head that you think you would like to do or try to do it, try and do it. And also on top of that, what I would say to them is, yes, in whatever you're trying to do, there's going to be people who think they're brilliant at it and think new people to it are crap. But you're also going to have people along the way who are wanting to do it or are established in it, and they would more than likely help you. Mm-hmm. And I would just yeah. say to people that I I wouldn't have took the step in the comedy. I don't think it would have happened. Only Andrew done it that time. So sometimes talking to somebody you know 
and letting them know how you feel about something or that something you would like or just mention it. And people normally do do that. But if you know somebody that would sort of help you along or push you to it more, tell them. You know, yeah. if there's somebody that you maybe haven't told before and you just said, tell them what do you think about that straight away. If they go, wait up, don't be doing that. Don't tell them no more. <laughs> Find somebody that's going to listen yeah. and then try and get into it because there's always something else out there. I mean, I know torch. I used to torture you about training and stuff because I used to train an awful lot. And now with the kids and all, I was going to, I make excuses about not doing it. Yeah. I don't, and I, I never made excuses for not doing comedy. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. if I really wanted to do it, I do, I just get fearful from it and my weight goes up and down and stuff like that. But I think my main love is for my comedy and my kids, my family. So yeah. training gets put to the back. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I just hope maybe I'll get to a stage where I can do everything for the family. Comedy is only maybe one gig every other week and you're doing the bigger ones so you don't have to do loads and that you would just be able to have that time during the day. You're not working as a joiner or something like that, yeah. that you can go and do your things that you need to do during the day. Because then I would, I would get involved in it, you know. But, even, uh, even the way you just described that, like you're saying to people that they should go and do whatever it is they feel like they should do. And there's going to be loads of people going, ah, it's all well and good for you and you don't have fuck all else to do. Then you added, you have your job, you have your family, you have the travel. You, like, you have fucking loads going on and still are chasing your passion and your love. So if you can do it and make time to do it, then like you said, if you really want to do it, you'll do it. So yeah, I like the idea of keep reaching out to people that you find the one person that goes, I'll help you with it. Yeah, no, that's good. Because again, same as all, when I said I want to be a martial artist, I'm pointing at my weapon for when I was- I see, your, your, house, your house is like my house, only it's all guns I have my wall at the back. <laughs> that's, that's why we had to change the camera angle. I'm allowed these. Um, but when I said I was going to do You know it, what? There's loads of houses in Devis look like that. I could All be in you know. They love it. But like people would shoot you down, shoot you down. Eventually you find someone that goes, ah, that's me. I try that. That'll be good. So no, I, I love that. Thank you very much. Um, how does people find you, reach out to you? Where's the best place to get you? Twitter and Paddy the Dagger on uh, Instagram. I'm Mac- Paddy McDonald Comedian. And on Facebook, just Paddy McDonald. Nothing else on it. I'd just like to say that... Um, yeah, hopefully I'm back gigging in Oma soon. And if people want to get tickets, there's a limited amount left. I say limited, probably 170, 180 for the Ulster Hall in November. It's something for everybody to look forward to. And yeah. just people keep an eye out and any followers, I get it. I interact with everybody and, you know, there's nothing you can't ask me or send a message or, and I'm there and, and just that's it. Yeah. Brilliant. I'll put all the links below as well so everyone can find easier. Uh, and I... I loved it. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And for everyone listening, thank you for tuning in and I will speak to you again soon.